Welcome to the Medical Association of Georgia's award-winning Top Doc Show. With more than 8,000 members who care for patients in every specialty and practice setting, MAG is the leading voice for physicians in Georgia. Go to mag.org to join MAG if you're a physician in Georgia. And thanks to MAG Insurance Agency for its support as a sponsor. Welcome to the Medical Association of Georgia's award-winning Top Doc Show. With more than 8,000 members who care for patients in every specialty and practice setting, MAG is the leading voice for physicians in Georgia. Go to mag.org to join MAG if you're a physician in Georgia. I'm Jeremy Bonfini, your host for today, and I'm the Executive Director and CEO of the Medical Association of Georgia. With just a few days before Christmas, we wanted to talk about a topic that I know is on everyone's minds, and that's the unintended consequences for patients and physicians associated with the implementation of the No Surprises Act. For those who may be unfamiliar with surprise billing, a surprise medical bill occurs when an insured patient is charged after unknowingly receiving care from out-of-network physician. This can happen to patients visiting the emergency room or at a planned doctor's visit even if the person is in an in-network hospital or other facility. As a result of challenges associated with surprise billing, Georgia's Surprise Billing Consumer Protection Act was signed into law on July 16th of 2020, and it went into effect in January of 2021. The federal No Surprises Act followed soon after, proposed in Congress in 2020, and after a very difficult uh, debate, it went into effect in 2022. Both laws were designed to stop unexpected billing of patients. However, the legislation, while well-intended and effective in some ways, has created unintended consequences. These unintended consequences include strengthening the hands of insurance companies seeking to pay physicians less and pushing more physicians out of network for patients everywhere. Today, I'm joined by a practicing physician expert in this extremely complicated subject, and I'm pleased to introduce Dr. Ashu Rao. Dr. Ashu Rao is a practicing radiologist at Quantum Radiology here in Marietta, Georgia. Dr. Rao is an expert in this space, and we're really pleased to have him today as he both has the legislative, regulatory, and frontline experience in the unintended consequences of the No Surprises legislation. Dr. Rao, first question to you, how has surprise billing legislation affected physician practices? Thanks again for having me, Jeremy. Um, it's been a much bigger issue for physicians than I think anybody would have believed when the legislation was first passed. Uh, and as you gave the short history, it was a bipartisan effort, both at the federal level and the state level, because we all want the same thing. We do not want a patient to show up in the ER and get a huge bill later uh, that they have to sort out, we really should take the patients out of it. So I do want to go on record as saying the vast majority of physicians, I think, do support the idea that patients should not be caught in the middle between physicians and payers. So uh, the unintended consequences are really many, many terminations of physicians. In one national survey of 54,000 doctors in 45 states, the vast majority had either been terminated or threatened with termination. And that is because the insurers, the payers, really have very little incentive to keep physicians in network 
when they can terminate them from their networks and then pay them a much lower amount. So the there is a process which we'll talk about called the independent dispute resolution process. Uh, the amount of claims that they predicted they would get were were passed by an order of magnitude from the number of claims. And a lot of this stems, uh, the unintended consequences, stem from a good law and a well-meaning law. And it's really the implementation uh, by CMS and HHS in that the actual rules were very heavily tilted in favor of the insurance companies. Uh, and this led to a spate of lawsuits, which actually makes it even more confusing for physicians who may get a termination letter out of the blue from one of the major insurers. Uh, and those lawsuits, there's been four major lawsuits uh, termed TMA one through four. And without getting into the specifics, it was very, very difficult for physicians having been terminated to submit paperwork to this process, the IDR independent dispute resolution process that was supposed to really be an even playing field. We would submit why we thought we would get paid, should get paid a certain amount. The insurers would make a calculation and then the independent dispute resolution arbitration firms would um, would do a baseball style arbitration. It's called each person submits one number and the most quote fair number as adjudicated, uh, adjudicated by the IDR firm would prevail. So that has been so heavily tilted in many ways. One of them is, and I know these terms are, are arcane, but um, we were terminated in the pandemic in spring of 2020. Uh, and we didn't know what an IDR or a QPA was, but we had to find out very, very quickly to protect, uh, to protect ourselves and protect our patients because they continue to get surprise bills. Uh, the QPA is the qualifying payment amount which is what the insurance company will remit when we have an out-of-network bill, but it's really based on internal data and two of the lawsuits that the government lost, that CMS lost, were regarding an artificially low QPA. And I will say it's unprecedented for CMS to lose four back-to-back -back lawsuits regarding their implementation. All right, and tell Sorry. us a little bit more about the QPA. As I understand it, the insurance company set the QPA, and that's led to artificially low uh, reimbursements based on the QPA. What other factors do they use to determine payment? So the Congress quite explicitly said in the legislation, in the No Surprises Act, there's a number of different factors to use. The QPA should just be one of the factors, and when CMS uh, did their interim final rule, it said that the QPA was actually the baseline from which everything else forms. And the judge uh, in the case said that's clearly not the case and that was vacated. So the QPA is really the median in-network contracted amount. Again, very opaque to physicians. Uh, I guess I can rely on a big multi-billion dollar payer just telling me, oh, here's the number, trust us, we looked. Uh, that's that's tough for, for us to see. Also, there's if it is to be the median in-network amount, um, 
there's a there's a lot of problems with that because, for example, my wife is a family practice doctor, and it may be in her contract she can read an L-spine MRI, even though she would never read an MRI as a family practice doctor. There, technically, that rate is out there, and insurers had been using what are called ghost rates, rates um, that were not attributable to a specialty that was then in contract under nominal contract, but really never charge it. So ghost rates have, have since been thrown out. And as you can imagine, if the median in-network rate was the rate that the insurance companies were allowed to pay without any other factors, uh, they would be foolish not to immediately terminate everybody above the median and just start paying them the median. Of course, in future years, all that means if somebody were to get back into network at the median rate, half of those then are above median again after a certain point in time. So the, there are a number of factors that should be considered. One is the condition of the patient. One is the breadth and scope of services that a physician practice may offer, the training of the physician involved, and then anything specific to that specific patient's care in terms of acuity. So in the in the legislation, all of those factors should be looked at uh, equally or weighted by the IDR firm. And instead, when the original rules came out, the QPA was given more weight than everything else. And then all the other factors were supposed to contribute in some way based on the QPA. So after four lawsuits and four losses by HHS, you'd think everything would be all set right now. It's not, unfortunately, as you know, uh, the process has been stopped. Uh, it's, the HHS has recently reopened the portal uh, to submit and, and receive claims. Uh, and you know, physicians overwhelmingly, I believe about two thirds of the physicians are winning in those cases. However, it's a very laborious, very expensive process. Uh, the federal process is a huge challenge, but how does that work with the Georgia law? Well, one thing I wanted to go uh, back and unpack what you said. Yes, you're right. Two thirds of the time, the providers are winning, but in more than half the time, the payers are not paying. Uh, and that was with an right. AFHC, large, again, a large scale survey of more than 40,000 doctors. Even And that's that's happened to my own practice, even though uh, you may win an IDR, there's no enforcement. So luckily, Georgia's uh, Surprise Billing Consumer Protection Act, and kudos to our Georgia legislators for really looking out for patients and coming in ahead of the federal government's program. So the NSA, the federal NSA, uh, really applies to a certain set of patients because it is a federal program. And I think some of your, uh, some of our listeners here will have heard of ERISA. So there's two types of plans out there. One is federally uh, covered plan, which is an ERISA plan, which is governed by NSA. And we also have fully insured plans in which the, the state process takes precedence. And the NSA actually has very specific guidelines about which states. And I believe today, 16 states have what's called a specified state plan. And Georgia, luckily, is one of those plans. So there is an interplay between both the federal and the state. Unfortunately, enforcement can be very difficult for a state uh, because ProPublica just, I believe, last week had uh, kind of an expose that state Insurance commissioners very often don't have the resources available to fight multi-billion dollar corporations. 
Here specifically, one, one of the challenges that's been very tough for us and other physician practices I talk to is something called batching. Uh, obviously, when one takes care of a patient, often there's many services involved, speaking at least from a radiology standpoint, a typical emergency patient who is covered by the No Surprises Act, both state and federal, uh, probably has a head CT, a lumbar and thoracic spine CT. When they originally proposed the rules, um, there was batching, meaning how many could you submit? And originally, oh, uh, you know, a thoracic spine CT is a different procedure than a lumbar spine CT, even though it was the same patient, same provider during the same encounter. So some batching was needed there. So we were allowed to put multiple claims together, but here's, here's the tough part, is when we put many claims together, we had no way of knowing which patients, for example, we looked from insurer ABC, we looked at 50 head CTs. We did not know which patients out of those 50 were covered by the state plan and which were covered by the federal plan. So we might submit, and this happened to us, we might submit a batch to the federal IDR system and the insurance companies who know exactly who's insured, but we don't, can point to any one of those. So actually looking at the their own auditing data for the federal IDR process, the majority of batches were actually ineligible because as providers, there was no way to know that plan X41-2B was whether that was a federal plan or a state plan. And same thing with the state insurance. If we were to use the state's IDR process, very difficult for us to know in a batch set of patients who was covered by ERISA and therefore uh, ineligible. Uh, and again, kudos to our state legislators. Uh, while many people were involved, I will call out uh, Representative Hawkins, Lee Hawkins from Gainesville, really followed up with another bill that went into effect uh, this summer, which was an amendment that said that the insurers must communicate whether or not the, the remittance uh, under the surprise billing legislation is considered federal or state. Mm -hmm. Very interesting. Thank you, Dr. Rao. So is it your view that Georgia is making a lot of progress and the system is working well in the state? Obviously, there's uh, the challenge in determining who's ERISA, who's non-ERISA, but in general, is it your view that Georgia is working well? I, I think that there's still a lot of challenges, but I think in Georgia, our legislators are listening to physicians. I think MAG has done a wonderful job of getting its membership engaged uh, in advocacy. And they're not only have they updated the law, they're continuing to update the law to make it better. Uh, and I think we are doing much better because of our Georgia law and Georgia advocacy. MAG, subspecialty societies, all put together are ahead of the game compared to many places. Great. Thank you so much. One of the most, I think, most scary situations is the payer termination. Uh, coming out of the blue, uh, practices may be surprised. They may be unaware of the arcane nature of surprise billing. What should physicians do if they face payer termination? That is very scary. Um, you're 
sitting in clinic, you're in a reading room, maybe you're an anesthesiologist or staffing an ER, and you get a certified letter saying, guess what, you're no longer in network with us. Uh, I think that's a very scary situation for physicians to be in. We have physicians to pay, we have employees to take care of, we have patients to take care of, and getting that letter. So I would say, first of all, contact MAG members should contact. MAG is a wonderful advocacy team and also your specialty societies, the American College of Emergency Physicians, American College of Pathology, uh, American College of Radiology, all have teams uh, that understand the very, very intricate legislation and can help people navigate it. Uh, especially in this age of consolidation, this is another factor that tilts the field towards corporate medicine and towards consolidating practices, um, which is not a, which is in itself not a bad thing. However, smaller practices, maybe in the rural areas of Georgia, just can't feel the competency within their own organization to manage either the federal or the state process easily. So I would say, yes, reach out to the organizations that support you um, in these matters. Great. Well, thank you so much for that and the kind words for Mag. Uh, and just for our listeners, uh, my name is Jeremy Bonfini, jbonfini at mag.org, J-B-O-N-F-I-N-I at mag.org, and we will get you taken care of uh, if you experience uh, payer termination or any other challenges. Uh, Dr. Rao, thank you so much for your time today. Do you have any other final uh, comments or observations uh, that you'd like to share with us? I can tell you, I I have always liked advocacy, but nothing has pushed me into it and our group into it nationally um, other, since, uh, since being terminated by a big group. But now that I'm involved, I would say physicians matter. The legislators really do like to listen to physicians. They want to hear your concerns. Uh, please feel free to reach out to your legislators at any time. They're, they're really here to support you. And I've been... Uh, impressed and surprised at the degree of engagement I see from state and federal legislators towards doctors. Great. Well, I couldn't agree with you more. I was inspired to take my journey in organized medicine uh, by Jack Cochran, uh, the former executive director of the Permanente Medical Group, who stated that physicians have disproportionate uh, opportunity to influence healthcare, and as a result, we have a disproportionate impact. So I wish we had a uh, hundred more of you, Dr. Rao. Uh, we could take over the world, uh, but in that case, we'll just focus on surprise uh, billing and bringing some rationality and sanity uh, to this unintended mess. I want to thank our uh, listeners today. Thanks for watching this episode of Top Docs. Please share this program with your colleagues, family, and friends. Remember to follow MAG on Facebook and Twitter. Don't forget uh, Doctor's Day, Physician's Day at the Capitol coming right up on February 7th at 8 a.m., February 7th of 2024 at 8 a.m. Uh, we want to see you at the Capitol. And don't forget that you can get past episodes of the show at mag.org backslash top docs. From everyone at MAG, we look forward to catching up with you on the next episode of Top Docs. Thank you and have a great day. Thanks for watching this episode of Top Docs. Please share this program with your colleagues and family and friends. Remember to follow MAG on Facebook and Twitter. And don't forget that you can get past episodes of the show at mag.org backslash topdocs.
from everybody at MAG. We look forward to catching up with you on our next episode of Top Docs. Thank you.